Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Burns Hargis. This is a big week, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Bedlam football on Saturday. Our guest this week is OSU's athletic director, Mike Holder. We talked football, including his thoughts on the playoff system. We also talked about OSU's new Obrate baseball stadium, the traits Coach Holder looks for in his coaches, and he had a great Boone picking story. Here's my interview with Mike Holder on this week's Inside OSU podcast. Well, let's just start with the timely, the timely issue. We've got Bedlam coming up. You got any predictions? Well, you know, I always predict a win. Yeah. But my percentage isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I always think this year is going to be better than last year. So uh, let's hope we can figure out a way to get a W against the Sooners. I guess optimism is kind of a key quality in your position. Yeah, you're not going to last very long if you're not an optimist. Yeah, that's that's for sure. But just to, in the, in terms of the overall attitude uh, of the uh, Cowboy Nation, how important is that game? Well, Kyle Ray likes to tell me that that's critical for enrollment and uh, you know how critical enrollment is for the current and future success of our university. So it's evidently a big deal. And uh, we'd like to win more of them. He said when that happens, you see more OSU gear out at the Walmart and various department stores, and you see a lot more of it out on the streets and in the malls. And we haven't had enough of it, and hopefully we're going to do something about that going forward. It, it is true that, uh, that athletics has a profound impact on the university. Enrollment is, a, is one byproduct, but academic gifts – in fact, I dare say most of our major academic gifts came from people that started as athletic donors. Yeah, you know, uh, athletics is a great connector for the past, you know. the it, Once you get back on campus for an athletic event, for anything, but primarily for an athletic event, I think you recapture some of that youth, that same enthusiasm you had back then, the memories that you had. And a lot of times that's the inspiration for wanting to – give back and make a difference going forward. So let's talk about the selection committee for the college football playoff. We've had this now three, four years? Uh, four or five, I can't get yeah, over I served on that board, but not on the selection committee, on the board that governs the CFP. Uh, there's been some talk about increasing that. Do you think that makes sense? And if, if so, what does that do to the academic mission of educating these players well i think it's inevitable it expands it's good uh, such a great experience that you want more coaches and athletes and fans to be exposed to it i think in my mind it's real simple if you uh, want to expand from four to eight just cut out one of the regular season games that we play that you know non-conference games then you've helped everyone you've only really added what two more games four games and you've reduced what 62 games so there's less less collisions out there for the rest of the football players so i see that as a net positive if you wanted to go to 16 and go to 10 regular seasons games instead of 12 i'd sign up for that as well people want to see the meaningful competition something that counts for a conference championship or an opportunity to get into the national championship conversation how do you uh, how do you manage that with the bowl system that we have in place well that's a question you know i think expanding to 8 probably keep the same bowl system if you go to 16 you probably have to change that somewhat. I don't have the answers for that. But certainly, if you had eight teams, the first-round losers could go to a bowl. 
and I would see us playing the first rounds at the same time you're playing these championship games for the leagues, you know, the league championship games. If you've eliminated a game early in the year, then that frees up that weekend for the playoffs. Yeah, the communities might not like that. They like these games coming in. It's, it means well, a lot but to you'd their have economy. a shot at maybe a playoff game and what that entails. So that'd be a whole lot more popular than what you gave up. One of the problems that uh, I hear, if you're in the playoffs and your fans have to travel a long way for the semifinal game, and then turn around the very next week, perhaps, and travel to the to the national championship game. Should those games be? If you go to eight, should that be home and home or? Yeah, absolutely, and, home and home. And if you're traveling back-to-back, that's a high-class problem, as Boone Pickens would say. A year in and year out, Oklahoma State sports compete for national championships. How do you uh, ensure that our Cowboys and Cowgirls have a, have a good chance? Well, the first thing is you've got to get the right coaches. So you've got to have a real leader, a difference maker that can uh, sell a vision and recruit the kind of athletes that it takes to win championships and then coach them up once they get here. And then there has to be a commitment on the part of the athletic department to provide the resources. That's the the budget to do the travel and recruiting and all that that entails, scholarships. And then also on the facility side, you have to put a facility out there that makes a statement that uh, that sport is important to the university and gives uh, something to attract those great athletes from all over the world. So that combination. What are you looking for in a, in a coach when you uh, evaluate the candidates? I'd say primarily character. You know, the values that we all hold dear. I think the things that make Cowboys special, whether it's uh, the OSU variety or the Old West, you know, hard work, honesty, integrity, all those things that, I don't know, conjure up good feelings uh, about one another. And uh, so I look for that in a coach. If they're trustworthy and I think they're going to get out and play by the rules and work hard, things will usually work out pretty well in the end. The problem is identifying those personal qualities in a short interview or short period of time. And unless you have personal knowledge of them or trust someone that's a good friend of theirs, it's really hard to find out what really matters about the candidates you're interviewing. Yeah, the uh, the kind of gap place between character and winning is wanting to win so much that you do break the rules, and character will trump that. So that's why I, I would agree with you. That's uh, that really is important hiring anybody uh, for anything. Yeah, you know, winning's important every place, but at least at Oklahoma State University, it's uh, not more important than doing it the right way. So, I take a lot of pride. And our football program and the way they go about recruiting, I have no doubt in my mind that they play within the NCAA rules. And then also I like the way that Mike Gundy coaches the team and the way they respect the game of football itself and respect their opponent and the way they represent our institution. That's worth a lot. Yeah, we do get some good feedback in that regard. And, yes, you know, three, three years ago, you hired a new uh, new coach. You know, of course, when Coach Gundy was hired, I was a regent. I, was, I think I was chair of the regents at that time. And when Coach Gundy was hired, and really he, his background was such that it, it wasn't one of the big, huge names around the country. But we decided that was that was where we ought to go, and for many of the same reasons you're talking about. But you kind of had the same situation come up here three years ago in basketball. Yeah, the advantage we had with uh, Mike Boynton was that I had had a chance to be around him for a year, kind of test drive him, and I had seen that those character traits that I spoke to earlier, and uh, a tireless work ethic, 
and a real passion for the game of basketball and a love for the student athletes that he was responsible for or working with as the assistant coach. So I had a lot of confidence that given the opportunity that he'd probably be pretty successful. There's no guarantees anytime you hire anyone for any job. Do you get into the weeds with the coaches when you see maybe the recruiting's not going like it needs to or the, or the performance on the quarter of the field? I really don't get too much involved. I think you hire a coach, let him do the job. That's what I, uh, what I appreciated when I was coaching golf. So uh, if I have to tell them how to do their job, I'll probably need to get a different coach. Uh, but uh, there's one place where there's no compromise. If I see them behaving in a manner or doing things that reflect negatively on our institution and don't stand for our values, then I'm quick to point that out, you know, especially like the kind of language they use, especially out in public. There's a high standard for the way you treat your athletes around here, and if they're not conforming to that, I like to remind them what's really important. And we're just educators at the end of the day. A coach is no different than a professor. Uh, he just has probably a more intensive class. And uh, X's and O's or the, the intricacies of the subject matter are one part. But then uh, the coaches have the advantage that they get to pick the students. And then also they can have a profound impact on a lot of other facets of their life just because of the time that they spend around one another. So I really look at coaches in general as professors that are teaching a class in leadership and training the next generation of leaders for our country. Let's go back to football. There's a lot of uh, uh, discussion now and litigation and legislation around the idea of uh, name, image, and likeness being monetized by players. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that issue? Well, I, I, by way of background, the California legislature passed a statute that uh, allows uh, college players to be paid for uh, the use of their name, image, and likeness, and the governor signed it. So it's law, but it's not effective till 2023. But there's a number of other states that have uh, had legislation filed. Well, I think if we ever get into anything that comes close to pay for play or the students uh, being employees that we've lost our way, that's not what college athletics is all about. It's about education and dreams and making those dreams come true. And if you want to play the sport for a living, there's a great avenue to do that. It's called professionals. Uh, and we don't want to be anything close to professional sports or a minor league for professional sports and I, I look at it this way for when I first started coaching the what athletes got in the way of a full scholarship and what the coaches made to coach the sport there wasn't much difference in the two and over time we've done a little bit more for the athletes but the gap between the athlete and the coaches compensation and the AD's compensation and administration has gotten about like the Gulf of Mexico the you know between the yeah. two and so right now, uh, the public discussion is focused on trying to take the athletic side of that continuum and move it closer to the top end. And I say that's an exercise in futility because until you get relatively close, you're still going to have the discussion and the discord. So we're looking at the wrong end. I think we've got it pretty much right on the, athletic si on the athlete side, the student athlete side. We need to get some help from Congress to close the gap and move the uh, administrators and the coaches' salaries closer to what they used to be. You, you, it never was intended for coaches and administrators to make millions of dollars on a college campus. That creates problems in and of itself. So that's what I see needs to happen. The other uh, problem 
uh, with it uh, it was uh, mitigated somewhat was the difference between the scholarship and the actual cost of attendance, which is a number that's published by your enrollment management uh, that governs how much a student can borrow. We moved the Power Five conferences anyway, moved to full cost of attendance, and none of that's taxable, which uh, ramps it up a good, well, 20% or so. Uh, so uh, there is, and the, the number that actually go professional is really minuscule compared to the number that participate. So for them, at least, it's it's a pretty good deal because the rest of the students on campus are paying that full cost of attendance. Well, absolutely. Probably with after-tax money that their parents sent. No them. question. Now, so the, 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 for the full scholarship sports, like football and basketball, for example, to get an education and leave debt-free, I mean, every other student on campus would love to have that deal. The NCAA just uh, announced that they are considering rules for uh, monetizing name, image, and likeness, and that we'll probably get a, uh, as long as it's consistent with the collegiate model, and I guess we're supposed to get a decision maybe in April of 2020. Can you envision where the middle ground is between not paying at all for or allowing uh, payment at all for name, image, and likeness uh, and uh, the collegiate model. I can't. But, you know, they've got some really smart people on that committee. I'm, I'm glad I'm not one of them that's got to figure out this puzzle because the, the real difference between, say, the Olympic model, uh, there's no recruiting in the Olympics. Uh, I mean, you're just – you're rewarded for your performance. You're an individual. That's one thing. There's recruiting in college athletics, and there's no question that this would, I think, bleed over into recruiting. And you wouldn't really be – it would be couched as name, image, and likeness. It would just be a way to compensate players or attract players to come to your university. And I just don't see how that's going to be a level playing field. And the NCAA rules have been there or put in place essentially to try to give everybody a fair chance. Now, I know that's not the case. You have so many different universities and there's disparate amounts of revenue and all that. But at the highest level, it's relatively fair competition. And I'd hate to see anything jeopardize that. And I just question how you can do name, image, and likeness without jeopardizing that let's talk about the the building explosion and uh, what we now call the athletic village that really was a incredibly audacious vision that you had to really upgrade uh, our facilities from top to bottom and i guess it really started with the stadium uh, and uh, boone pickens's involvement well you know it actually started with our golf course when we built karsten creek and we had the well, at that time, and I still would make an argument today, the premier uh, golf practice facility of any institution uh, playing college athletics in America, or at least college golf. And then uh, when I became athletic director, I wanted to provide that same uh, advantage to every one of our coaches and athletes. But the facility doesn't really beat anyone. It doesn't win anything, but it attracts the kind of talent that it takes to win championships. Well, and it's, it signals a commitment. Absolutely. That you have to that sport. Yeah, physical manifestation of the institution. Well, when commitment. did you first envision the idea of kind of everything north of Fall of Fame could become a site for all of these facilities? Well, it was long before I was the athletic director. I, I 
fortunately, I had a good friend, Boone Pickens, that started making a lot of money, and I sold him on the idea that a lot of that dilapidated, and to some, in some degree, not all the homes were, but a lot of substandard housing over there on the north side of campus create, created an opportunity for us to maybe acquire that and at least provide a canvas to paint this uh, picture of all these facilities over there. And uh, he agreed. So long before I was athletic director, we set about trying to acquire some of that property over there for what would end up being our new baseball stadium, a tennis center, a Sherman Smith training center for all sports, uh, an indoor practice facility. We don't. We didn't build the new Neil Patterson soccer stadium there, but we certainly had the the land mass to do that. We felt like the current location was better. But and you built a track facility over there. Track facility. So it's just a dream, a vision. You know, at the time, pretty aggressive, probably crazy to even think about that. I remember very well. You called me. I think I was still a regent, and said, "Let's go to Dallas and see Boone," and we did it like on a. It was late in the year. Oh, yeah. And you had a big spreadsheet right. and uh, had it all set up, and a lot of it's come true since then. What did you think when uh, he asked that question to me? He said, now, what is it you want me to give? And I said, well, the minimum amount you can give to get this dream, make it a reality, is $165 million. And then I think he said something like, well, okay. What did you think in that well, moment? I was stunned. I utterly stunned. But, but the, the, I'd just never been around anything like that. <laughs> But and I've been a banker, you know. I, but that was even way over our limit of what we'd loan anybody. But uh, isn't it true that much earlier you had talked to Boone and he offered six or seven million dollars, and you said, "Keep your money." Yeah, you know. And, Is and that I, true? Tell that story. Well, he had he was going to give three million, four million, five million. He was going to split it between golf and basketball and football. And he asked me what I thought. He thought I'd, oh, thank you very much. And I said, well, that's a bad idea. You need to, if that's all you're going to give, give it to one sport. You're not even going to make a, you're, you're talking about football, four or five million is not going to transform that sport. And even a smaller sport like golf, it's not transformational. So you need to focus your giving and, and align it and get an amount big enough to really make a difference long term. And I had originally gone to see him in September of 2005 asking for $300 million. And after being told three or four times, I leaving there frustrated, I, I decided I better get a discount, give him a discount. Even billionaires want a discount. They, it's like my wife. She loves to buy things on sale. So we gave him a discount. And I remember him that day he said, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep last night, and I was tossing and turning, and, and his wife, uh, she woke up, and she said, you're worried about something, aren't you? And he said, yeah. He says, you were worried about where you're going to come up with that $165 million tomorrow because you had to get it. It was the last day. Yeah, you had to get it on the wires. Yeah, you had uh, one day to yeah. get the money in his account. She said, well, have you figured out where you're going to get that money? You know, because even God has that much is not liquid. Right. He said, yeah, I think I've, I figured out where I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it from my good friend, Ace Greenberg, at Bear Stearns. And that's, thank goodness, Ace had enough confidence and Boone had enough equity, he'd loan him that amount of money. Let's talk about the opening of Obrate Stadium. Cecil Obrate has gave the founding gift for uh, what looks to be just this side of Yankee Stadium. Smaller version. Yeah. Talk about it a little bit. Well, you know, I, I can't say enough uh, in the way of thank yous to Cecil Obrate. Uh, not even a baseball fan, really, never really played this sport or anything. To, buy into the vision and step up to the plate with $35 million gift. Uh, extraordinary. But I, I'd like to think that the dream of what that might look like and 
what a game there might the experience of going to a game there might be like. I, I'd like to think that the reality is going to exceed the dream. Well, how will it be different from Allie Reynolds Stadium's experience? Well, you know, first of all, we're going to have some parking. <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem trying to get a fan base in Allie P. Reynolds. There's absolutely no place to park. And I, I, we've been frustrated for years with that. And our, the following of our team, I think, it reflects the frustrations because we probably only sell about six or 700 season tickets for baseball right now. So you're going to have parking close by. Uh, we're going to have 3,500 permanent seats. And we're going to have all the modern amenities, concession stands, nice uh, chair back seats, and uh, not a bad seat in the house. You so can actually walk clear around the stadium. 360-degree right? concourse. And we're don't you have, have room for tailgates and then barbecues yeah, there? And yeah, we think we're going to have tailgating in the outfield inside the stadium. We think we're going to do some unique things. But the overall theme has been families. You know, the if you heard Josh Holliday's opening press conference when he got the job or if you've heard him talk about uh, his uh, – childhood he was actually raised at Allie P Reynolds Stadium and all the things that that did for him and that's been the inspiration for a lot of what we've done at Obright Stadium in the way to try to bring families into the stadium entertain the youngsters and bond them with OSU baseball and Oklahoma State for life so when will it open March 20th but the season starts earlier than yes that, we're so, going to play some early season games in Alley P. Reynolds, and then when the weather gets warmer and we feel like our turf is up to speed, then we're going to move into the new stadium. You've, you've done a lot of work in my backyard behind the Wilhelm House in the cross-country course, and we're hosting the Big 12 championships this year and, and the national championship next year. Well, actually, the regionals this year, President Hargis, oh. and then the national championship next year. Well, that's got quite a feather in your cap. All our caps. You know, it's hard to get a national championship on a campus. Uh, really, the only opportunities are indoor track, outdoor track, cross-country, men's and women's tennis, and men's and women's golf. The rest of them have outgrown campus sites, and so they're off in neutral facilities. Or like Omaha, they go for baseball there every year to Omaha, or you go to Oklahoma City every year for softball. So pretty unique, and we've built venues and all these sports to try to track those national championships. So we want to put on a good show and give ourselves a chance to host multiple years in the future. And then talk just a little bit about the Greenwood Tennis Center, and uh, you're hosting a national championship there. Yeah, we're going to host a national championship, men and women, uh, this May in the Greenwood Tennis Center, and uh, it's world-class. I think it's going to be well-received by all the contestants, and we really want to kind of set a new standard for hosting uh, and really benefit future championships in that sport. And then also, we're, uh, selfishly, we'd like to get it back multiple times in the future. Let's talk about what's left. I said that you, okay. you pretty much had done it all, but you, you've got still some big dreams. Yeah, we, we've got to do something for wrestling. I, I tell people all the time that Gallagher Hall was built in 1938. It was named after a wrestling coach. And from that day forward, I don't think we've really done anything specifically for wrestling, so it's well overdue. And I think we've suffered because of it. We haven't had that physical manifestation of wrestling that I think we need, and I think that It's got to be one of the most decorated programs in the country. Absolutely. Well, I would say make a case it's in the world, you know, and Mm -hmm. we've got 34 national championships. And we've allowed Iowa for a period of time and now Penn State 
to claim the high ground in wrestling. We need to do something to recapture that. So we're going to do a significant upgrade for wrestling as far as workout and training facility. I can't tell you when that will happen, but we're every day trying to raise the money for that. And then Where we need do you to envision do, that would be? Uh, on the east side of Gallagher-Iba Arena and where we call Hedgefield right now. We've got plenty of space to put it out there. And I think it might become the new front door to the arena itself and really needs to make a statement that the heartbeat for wrestling in the whole world exists in Stillwater, Oklahoma, right next to Gallagher Arena. And then the next thing would probably be an indoor track just south of our current track facility and a venue good enough to host the national championship. That's what I envision. And then probably upgrade softball we really haven't done anything for that since 1999 or 2000 when it was built and then we'll need to get back around to football and all the other sports and take care of the facilities that we built any thoughts of uh, adding sports not right now we need to be able to fund every sport we have at a level that allows them to compete for championships but that being said what i'd like to do if we have uh, some more revenue in the future i'd like to add more opportunities because i believe in the experience of student athletes and how valuable that is in their future and what, the future what of our country would, so what sports would those be i know i get volleyball is mentioned a lot right, we'd me. probably add volleyball you know we'd probably need to start on the female side because of title nine You've got to balance those numbers out between male and female athletes. You know, cheer and palm, uh, not palm, but cheerleading, that's pretty competitive. Tumbling, that may turn out to be a sport someday. Uh, Women's wrestling, I think Mm -hmm. it's got got the greatest wrestling program in the world, and the female wrestling is growing nationwide and worldwide. Uh, You've been a good guest, and I hope I've been a good host. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for all you've done, Mike. You've you've been a huge change agent uh, for the better, and... I know you had friends like Boone and Cecil that helped you along the way, but it wouldn't have happened without you. Well, you never get anywhere in life by yourself. And if you do get someplace, it's not going to be nearly as much fun if you're there alone and you look around and no one to share it with. Thanks to Mike Holder for being our guest this week. Remember, opening date for the Obrate Stadium is March 20th. For team schedules and tickets to see the Cowgirls or the Cowboys, Go to okstate.com. And that's the podcast for this week. I'm Burns Hargis. Thank you for listening and subscribing. I hope you and yours have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And for Bedlam, a very special Go Pokes!